You're listening to Following the Way, a podcast devoted to the examination of Scripture and Christ-centered practices to help us live in devotion to the way of Jesus. Well, hey, it's good to be together. Welcome to our study in the book of Hebrews. We have been going chapter by chapter, mainly, at least up to this point, through one of the most unique books in the New Testament, and I trust that these podcasts can serve you well as a companion in studying the book or in helping you understand the contents of this great book. We're in chapter 3 today of Hebrews, which once again begins with a therefore, which alerts us that what is about to be written is in light of that which has already been written. It's a connector for the author and helps us to track with the flow and ideas in the text. And the writer addresses those he's writing here as holy brothers or sisters. And I say that because the term in the Greek is adophoi, which is a term that refers to siblings in a family. And so certainly we can translate this to be written to all of us. It's all of us as brothers and sisters were addressed as those who share in the heavenly calling. And these words are meant to remind us of what has just been written in chapter 2, mainly, uh, particularly, I should say, verses 11 and 12 of that chapter, where it speaks of Jesus as the one who makes us holy. And it says that both he and us who are made holy by him are of the same family. In fact, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so when we are being addressed as holy brothers and sisters, this this is not a throwaway label. This is defining us and identifying us as part of God's family. We have been brought in and made holy. We're accepted into this eternal family. It speaks of new identity. And this heavenly calling, well, what is it? And I think that this speaks of Jesus having called us to be part of his family, as it speaks of in Hebrews 2. It speaks of inclusion, adoption. And then in this, the writer redirects us. He says, Jesus is not just our brother. He is also the apostle, the one who is sent to us, and the high priest, the one who sacrifices or was sacrificed on our behalf that this is this is who we are confessing, uh, this Jesus. And then in, in verses 2 to 6, it, it focuses on a comparison between Jesus and Moses, which for first century Jewish believers in Jesus was a pretty big topic. Moses was a rock star. He, he was like the Paul McCartney of them, if you will. And it's like, you know, Anyone that comes along is like, well, he's good, but is he as good as Paul McCartney? Well, I don't don't know. But he was revered by the Jewish people as as a central figure in their faith. The one who led them out of Egypt, brought the law to the people, and led them to the cusp of the promised land. But as great as Moses was, the writer of Hebrews sees the need to explain here why Jesus is infinitely greater. And the analogy of a house is used. And it says that Moses was faithful as a servant who watched over this house. In fact, the words there in verse 5 
are taken directly from Numbers 12, 7, which is part of what God said to Aaron and Miriam when they opposed Moses for taking a Cushite wife, and they came and they, they were they were quarreling with him and speaking against him, and, and the Lord just rebukes them. And, and it gets really cool here because it seems that the writer of Hebrews is specifically spending time in Numbers 12 to 14 as he's writing this part of the letter. And we'll get to, to why I think that is yet. We'll see that yet. But the writer, he isn't minimizing the impact of Moses, but rather pointing to how great Jesus is, which he drives home by affirming the greatness of Moses. And we can miss this because we don't have the same cultural influence now. But he's he's saying to the people, look, I know how great Moses is. Like he, Moses was great. He was over all of God's house as a servant. God affirmed him. And, but he says in comparison to that servant of, of being of the house, Jesus is the builder of the actual house and over all of it. And so, as great as Moses was in leading the Israelites out of physical slavery and revered for that, he was the rock star. The writer saying, Jesus delivers us from spiritual slavery that leads to eternal death. And the last part of verse 6 then makes it even more remarkable for us. It says that we are the house of God. Forgiven, redeemed followers of Jesus are temples of the Holy Spirit. This is just another way of saying it, that God's Spirit indwells us and we carry the very presence of God within us, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3. This is the remarkable transformation that followers of Jesus experience. But there is a condition that is attached to this incredible reality. It says we have to hold on to the courage and hope and this is explored more in Hebrews 10, uh, where it speaks of, you know, how genuine faith reveals this. There's a willingness to persevere and not shrink back. And so what, it, what it's saying to us is, we are this house. That's not in doubt. But, you know, we, we reveal that we see ourselves and we are that as by being bold and courageous as Jesus's followers. And so I mentioned earlier that I, I think... The writer of Hebrews was spending time in Numbers 12 to 14. Uh, I, I believe this strongly, and I think actually it's pretty um, pretty easy to to show why this is when he was writing this. And I want I want to unpack this a little bit for us. Verse seven begins with "so," which is also translated as another "therefore," uh, and, and so the writer saying "therefore," as the Holy Spirit says. And then the writer uh, turns and quotes Psalm 95 uh, verses 7 to 11. Uh, Anyone want a Slurpee? Uh, Which is referencing two incidents of disobedience with the Israelites. Uh, Numbers 20, where Moses disobeys God and strikes the rock. And and then, you know, we know that he's barred from entering the promised land. And it's it's just this tragic event. And, And also, uh, it's also in much more in, in greater depth referencing Numbers 13 and 14, which is what the writer focuses on. And so to understand these verses, we really need to have an understanding of the original story. And this is something that we don't do very often, actually, when reading the New Testament. I don't think we do it nearly as often as we necessarily should. 
and really need to because the writers of the New Testament were immersed in the Old Testament. It informed how they lived and everything they wrote. And, and if we disregard this when we're reading and reading and studying the New Testament, we not only uh, misunderstand the text and run the danger of that and, you know, uh, just cherry picking verses and misapplying them. And, and, and I'm not going to get into it. That's a whole nother podcast, but we can do that. But we also can come to some very misguided conclusions uh, when we're reading the New Testament, if we're looking at them just with a 21st century perspective, because historical context matters so much in order to understand the biblical text and the writers that are writing these letters and what they meant and why they said that and why they said this. And I say that because knowing the details of the original account here that the writer is referencing gives a depth to these verses that not only shouldn't be missed, but drives home what really the writer's getting at here. And he's, he's really talking about what characterizes unbelief, which certainly seems to be the focus here uh, in verses 7 to 19. And whether it was with Moses or now as followers of Jesus, unbelief and what it fosters in our lives is dangerous. And so what does Numbers 13 and 14 reveal to us about this. And this is where we need to look at that account. And what does this account tell us? Well, it's, it's God telling Moses to send some men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. It seems like a very clear promise. And so the men that are sent, they come back from exploring the land and they share that while it is a very good land, full of resources and food, they also reveal that the cities are well protected and the people are powerful. And while Caleb encourages the people to have faith, he says, we can go up, we can take possession of the land. The other men, except we learn later in the text, except Joshua, they begin to spread fear and dissension in the people. And, and the text might even suggest that they're exaggerating the danger. And immediately this fear and disobedience uncover the familiar DNA of the people, and that is unbelief. And so they, they begin to mourn and they begin to, to cry out and they say, if, if only we had died in Egypt or, or even in the desert, if only, if, if, we, if we could just go, if we go into this land, we will die. Our, our wives and our children will be taken from us. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? And so they say, yep, let's just choose another leader and let's go back. And so in response to this, Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua, they plead with the people there in Numbers 14 verses 5 to 9. And, and they say, they, they, they tear their clothes before him and they say, look, the land that we pass through, it's exceedingly good. You know, the Lord, if he's pleased with us, he's going to give us this land. This land is good. It's full of food and resources. And, you know, don't, don't be afraid of the people of the land. We're, we're going to swallow them up. We'll take care of them. Their protection is gone. They say the Lord is with us. And then they say, only do not rebel against the Lord. And what do the people do? The people rebel. They actually begin to speak of a murderous plot against Moses and his leadership. We're gonna, let's, let's consider, we're going to stone these guys. 
And God sees it for what it is. He says to Moses, he comes down in his glory and he says, this is contempt against me. He tells Moses, he says, I'm going to strike the people down with a plague and destroy them. I'm done. And Moses, again, in, in the mercy that he shows for his people, Moses pleads for them. He says, don't defile your name like this, Lord. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in love, forgiving sin. It's that When we speak of the Lord being slow to anger and abounding in love, it's within the context of this story that those words are in Scripture. And it's one of those instances where God relents or as a, as a result of Moses' intercession. But the consequences of the people's unbelief and rebellion is severe. The, God says, this generation will not see the promised land. The only exception is Joshua and Caleb. In fact, he says, the, 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 the kids, the children that you were worried were going to be plundered if you went into the land, the land that I said I was going to give to you. He says, it's those that generation, those children that will come in and possess the land. And so, while the people mourn and admit their sin, when Moses reveals the consequences to them, they actually double down on their rebellion. And the way they frame it is full of prideful deception. We will go up and to the place the Lord has promised. We will do it ourselves. We'll take matters into our own hands. We're going to do this. And of course, when they refuse to listen as Moses pleads with them saying, look, this is going to go really bad, folks, if you do this. They still, they don't listen. They go up and of course they are routed by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And so it's in the within the context of this account that Hebrews 3 is reminding us to do everything we can to guard ourselves against unbelief. It is the result of of the deceitfulness of sin, it says. It leads to rebellion and prideful disobedience. That again, that's the understanding. When we when we understand the context of Numbers 13 and 14 and, and what the writer expects and, and knows that his readers will know, again, in understanding the Old Testament, he's saying, remember, remember, don't don't walk in rebel don't walk in unbelief it leads to rebellion it leads to prideful disobedience you've seen what's happened rather hold firm to the promises of god be caleb's be joshua's be moses they be remain faithful to god because he is faithful don't disregard the voice of god and the leading of the holy spirit if the holy spirit if you hear his voice today don't harden your hearts He's saying, because what is at stake when it comes to unbelief is entrance into the rest of God, which is compared here against entrance into the promised land. And so what does that rest speak of? Well, that's for our next episode and Hebrews chapter four. So once again, thanks so much for being with us. I hope that this has opened up your understanding and helped you to uh, see Hebrews through with a little bit more clarity. Uh, There's even a lot more. This is a very brief introduction to Hebrews 3. We could spend a lot more time uh, looking at it. But I hope that this maybe spurs you on to do a little bit more study in Psalm 95, a little bit more study in Numbers 13 and 14, along with Numbers 12. And, uh, and next episode, we're going to look and, and dig a little bit deeper into 
uh, what we're talking about when it speaks of entering God's rest in our lives. So bless you. And uh, we will see you once again, Lord willing. Thank you.